Hello, my friends. Today, Joel is talking to Dan, the founder of the TLDR newsletter, and they discuss some of the most interesting moments from both the TLDR newsletter and the Modern CTO podcast, speculating on whether or not the next Tesla will fly, mind-controlled flamethrowers, ransomware attacks, and more. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO podcast. What's up, Dan? Hey, how's it going, man? Dude, it's fantastic. How are you? Good to see you again. Man, dude, this is going to be great. I'm so excited. Do you ever get to meet any of your like email subscribers in person? I don't think I've ever met somebody that yeah was just like a, a reader before. I, I like I've had some friends say, "Oh, I've I've heard of TLDR." But I don't think I've met somebody that was like, oh, you like write TLDR, like I am a reader. I guess like I've always been like fairly anonymous for like writing TLDR. Like I only recently started putting my like last name there because, you know, like there's a lot of scary people on the internet, man. And I'm not like sort <laughs> of like, I'm not like super attention seeking on like social media and stuff. So uh, I, I guess it would be hard to know it's me, even if you do read TLDR. Oh, it is. Trust me. Because I found the newsletter through going like, I think I was on a social media platform and you have this really cool sort of like animated covering multiple topics video and I subscribed mm -hmm. to the newsletter yeah. and then it didn't disappoint at all. Like it just was these really great. And the first day I got it, I was like, that's cool. Second day that's, I was like, how, how is he keeping it up? Like what? it's so cool every day. I don't know how he's doing this. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. First of all, um, I, I think like I've just, kind of built up so many like feeds and aggregators over like the two and over two and a half years, almost three years of doing this now, um, where every time like I, I see a story, like usually you see stories on multiple platforms that they're cool. But a lot of times you see like, like these small stories that are like super interesting, but like aren't really broadly covered. And then I kind of tried to reverse engineer how I would like repeatedly find that story. And so like, over the last few years, I've just gotten so many new sources and they're all kind of in like various feeds and aggregators for me. So yeah, that's, that's kind of how I find stuff. I love it. Let's plug, let's plug it real quick. How do people join the newsletter? Uh, you can go to tldr.tech. Uh, that's the domain extension, tldr.tech. And the front page is just a sign up page. So yeah, it's just eight links every day on the most interesting stuff in uh, tech, science, programming, and all that good stuff. I love it, man. I love it. Yeah. So we actually tried when I first found it and liked it, we tried to hunt you down and like figure out who owned it and figured out how to get them on the, so it took us like months. Like it wasn't something we worked on full time for months. Right? <laughs> we didn't hire like an investigator to come track you down. But, um, here and there, I would just see one and I'm like, you know, every couple of weeks I'd be like, let's talk to the person who makes this. And I'd send it over to my production team. They're like, I don't know. There's like this half empty LinkedIn profile. We think it might be this guy. We don't know his last <laughs> name. Uh, but, but luckily uh, we did find you. And so I was really, really happy to meet you. Right. I, I am the owner of the world's worst LinkedIn. Um, so <laughs> I, I just got tired of recruiter spam after a while and just nuked everything from my, uh, from my profile. But yeah, I guess like this was always just us. This was until very recently, um, just a side project for me because I used to run uh, this SaaS company called Scraper API, which was like an API to build web scrapers essentially. So that was like my full time gig, and TLDR was like my side project that I would do for fun at the end of the day. 
So I actually just went full-time on this in March. Uh, so pretty recently and just started launching new stuff. Like today I'm actually doing an AMA, like an ask me anything style interview, um, on TLDR. So I'll do a lot more of those coming up. And then, um, I'm launching a podcast as we spoke about, uh, and hopefully learning a lot from this one and, uh, yeah, just, just doing a lot of that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, really excited to do this full time. So how is your podcast going to be formatted? What are you going to talk about? Well, I I think like in the beginning, there'll be a lot of like trial and error, kind of like there was with the newsletter. I think there's a lot of like interesting people. There's like, I have a list of like interesting people that I just kind of find around the internet that I probably want to talk to. Like there are these guys starting this charter city called Prospera in Latin America, which is just crazy. They're like guys that make these sort of uh, smart contact lenses. Uh, I think it's called Mijo or something like that. But like just these these people that pop up in my newsletter that I, I'm kind of like, oh man, that guy's like really interesting. I really want to talk to them. Um, so yeah, I'll probably just reach out to a number of them and hopefully some will be like, okay, let's do it. Absolutely. It'll work for sure. We did that. We use your newsletter as a source for interesting guests. Like we found a wild type. They were like making salmon. They would take these salmon cells and like clone them. Oh yeah. I remember those guys. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. We did an interview with their founder. He's a brilliant guy. It was, it was really cool. Really interesting. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. That's exactly the kind of person I'd like to talk to. So yeah, hopefully, um, hopefully it'll be good. But I mean, I guess it's like with anything new, you never really know. You always have an idea of how it's going to go in your head. And then like when you actually do it, it's like a little bit different, but I, I think we'll figure it out. Yeah. Let's talk out a couple options just for fun. All right. So one way, cause we actually, when we couldn't find you, we had mm -hmm. an unofficial TLDR notes section in our notes where I could tell if, uh, you know, some guests are more open to ca casually talking than others, right? Yeah. So when I would find someone who was like more on the fun side, I would go to that TLDR uh, and ask them like thoughts on these different headlines that are happening. Uh, but oh, I was curious. so yeah. funny. Yes, yeah, so that would be like a, a third or a fourth of the interview. Um, oh my so God. I know, right? I'm uh, flattered. You should be. It's, <laughs> it's fantastic stuff. So when I heard you were doing your own podcast, I was like, that's going to be real successful. But I didn't know like how it would be, you know, maybe bringing on someone who's doing something just super unique and just having the conversation about what they're doing that's unique. Like I, I would totally listen to the eye contact lens person or what, what did you say? A, a charger city? Tell me about that. Oh, a charter city. Like a charter city is essentially a city that is all, a startup that builds a city as their product. So yeah, it seems insane, which is kind of why I want to like talk to these people, right? I, I, there's actually a lot of these, like, it, it, I say a lot, there's like three dudes on Twitter that like do this, but uh, there's like a whole Charter Cities Institute where like they just tried to like figure out better ways to like start cities. So yeah, it, it's like one of these things that a lot of weirdos on Twitter are talking about now, but like maybe in five to 10 years, it'll be like, like, you know, crypto was five to 10 years ago, where it's just, yeah, internet money, whatever. Um, and now it's kind of, you know, going mainstream. It, it does kind of like, if you think about it, cities are these like kind of things that we kind of just take for granted that they've always been there. But at some point, somebody started like New York City, where I am now, right? And someone started like Paris. And they're kind of these like immortal beings that are just like stay around. Like I was reading this interesting article, I can't remember where it was, talking about how like cities are actually more durable than the nations that contain them. So like, if you think about like, is 
Istanbul, it used to just be like Constantinople and like the country fell, but the city stayed there and it just like is under like a new jurisdiction now, right? So like cities are sort of in, in a lot of ways, like, like the atomic unit of like civilization. Um, so I think like this idea that people are now trying to build their own is just super interesting. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe it'll be big. Maybe it'll be, it'll be nothing. Yeah. They're like decentralized, right? So they're more resilient. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, they're just much more tangible, right? Than like a country. It's like kind of like the borders are kind of artificial in a country or whatever. Like a city is just like a group of people next to each other. Um, so it's like kind of like a more natural, tangible thing uh, than like a lot of these, like a state, right? Where like, who knows where the state border of like North Dakota and South Dakota is. It's in between them. <laughs> it is in between <laughs> I them. gave a relative location. Uh, <laughs> all right. So you must be reading for like hours a day or, or do you have this down to like yeah. a pretty efficient process? Well, um, uh, yeah, in a lot of ways, like TLDR was just an effort to just design my own dream job, which is just surf like Twitter and Reddit and Hacker News all day. <laughs> um, so yeah, in a lot of ways, I am just like reading all day and just kind of like, you know, going through a, a lot of these like news stories and finding the most interesting ones. But yeah, it doesn't really feel like work in the way that, you know, back back when I was running my SaaS company, I would just like write blog posts or whatever. And, and that really is kind of a grind sometimes, right? There's a lot of stuff that just has to be done. Uh, for TLDR, it's just going about my day as if like, it's like, I, I would do this on the weekends too, even when there's no issue of TLDR going out, you know? Yeah, but you have to do it like now that you have to do it, right? Like it's part of your thing that you're you're doing. There's some sort of routine around it, right? That's true. That's true. I guess now that it is my actual full-time job, I don't I don't think there's actually that much of it that I don't enjoy doing. I I still just like enjoy reading Hacker News every day. I, I refresh it all the time, right? <laughs> it's like very instinctive. So yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, th I guess not as much has changed as I thought it might. Because, you know, you, you do read about like whenever something becomes your full-time job, even these like professional athletes, right? Like it's fun to play basketball, but playing basketball when you have a sprained knee isn't that fun, right? So like there's, there's something where like if you have to do it, it's not that great. But for me, I mean, it's it's just not that much of a commitment. It just feels like fun. Yeah, I mean, I didn't mean it like that. I meant like structure because you have to like oh, have yeah. release dates and times, right? So, like you do this, you do this daily. It's five days a week, correct? Yeah, yeah, it is five days a week. But I think like you get into a rhythm and you just kind of get used to doing it. And I have like all the templates and stuff like set up. So really, I just like find the stories, and that's the bulk of of the time commitment. Like the, the tough times are, you know, sometimes like recently we had Memorial Day, right? And some days, man, it is a slow news day. Uh, so, so those are the days that are like kind of tough. And I'm like, really, really like diving deep for like some good stories. But in general, I'm somewhat bailed out by the miscellaneous section. So like two out of the eight stories are miscellaneous. And you can, you can kind of just like dig further into like weird stuff for those, right? Like, I found this cool video of like a drone flying into a volcano uh, yeah. for that. And that was like, I think my eighth slot. Um, so yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. I love I, that I one, by the way. I saw that one. Yeah. I, I always love those videos. I, I can't believe, you know, it's, it's so weird that like the two use cases for drones are like 
military applications and people flying them to take pictures and selfies, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like two like very, very, very different use cases. And it's just kind of funny that those are the two that people found. What are some of the, the you see like every day you've got cool stories, but you've been doing right. this a while over the past couple months or, you know, recently, what are some of the, the more interesting stories that have stuck in your mind? Ooh, the most interesting stories that have stuck in my mind. There's a lot. Um, I've got some there, prep. Do you want me to share my screen? Ooh, yeah, sure. Yeah, I figure we can cheat here, right? It's like definitely <laughs> no teachers. We could cheat. Definitely. Because right. these are some of the ones that we liked. Oh yeah, the boring tunnel. Uh, the boring company stuff is all really cool. I love those. Um, right. I kind of, you know, you always wonder like how those companies run when it's like Elon Musk's third side hustle or whatever. Like, <laughs> what what happens there? You know, do you think he shows up to the boring company stuff, or does he just like show up once every couple months and it's like, hey, like here I am, like we're launching stuff. Yeah, I think he shows up for the moments that matter. I've heard his interviews on like Joe Rogan and such. He's really, really involved, obviously, in Tesla and SpaceX. I think that's where he spends most of his time bouncing back and forth between those. And then people right. just approach him all the time, like, and want to want to put his name on their business because who wouldn't want to say Elon Musk is my co-founder? That's true. I mean, that's the only reason we've heard of Boring Company and like Neuralink and stuff, right? It's just like, oh, Elon Musk is involved, right? Yeah, and he gets really great people too. Oh, definitely. I mean, look at the top three stories you have. OpenAI, also founded, co-founded by Elon Musk. And Tesla, number three. Oh, Tesla, that Roadster is going to be insane. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that guy, thank God for Elon Musk. He's like half the stuff I write about in this newsletter. The SpaceX ocean spaceport thing, I think recently was super interesting too. There was one crazy story about like the an autonomous drone kill. It was the first one ever in... I think it was last year in Libya, the United Nations, like, I think investigation just like confirmed it. So yeah, essentially this autonomous drone just decided like to kill a person without any human intervention. And that was the first time that's ever happened. Really? Yeah. Which is, you know, Jesus. Whose drone we're, we're, was it? Uh, I can't remember whose drone it was. I remember it being in Libya. Let me look this up. Maybe we shouldn't say this over recorded microphones because it's like, it's like drone cousins, like I belong to nobody. I am my own thing. <laughs> <laughs> it like kills me next, right? That's true. That's true. I mean, Ooh. yeah, some of this stuff is just like super, super like futuristic. I, I was actually surprised by, I think one of the things about this like newsletter after I started writing it is I'm surprised by like how far along science is because a lot of this stuff you just don't hear about, you know, like I thought all of the like, uh, like the lab grown food stuff was way behind where it was. They're just like, they're making like lab grown caviar now. They're making lab grown Wagyu steak. They're just, uh, yeah, doing all this stuff. So yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. The salmon guy, the uh, wild type, he said that you know regulation is something that definitely holds it up because they don't know how to classify these things yet. Uh, oh, but some countries point. have actually pushed forward, and so there's there was uh, one more modern country that actually had the the lab grown chicken. I think they call it like curated chicken or something more palatable than the world lab grown. <laughs> right. <laughs> but they actually had it in like Singapore. Like you could go to Singapore and actually order this chicken and it was in some restaurant and I thought that was really fascinating. 
That's awesome. Yeah, I, I have seen like Singapore for a lot of these like food startups actually. So maybe they just have like a much more liberal like regulation regime, right? I want. Do you actually think the Tesla is going to fly? Like, do you think it will? It says fly very briefly. Like, what does that mean? Well, like those car companies can always just like. I think like a lot of car companies design super duper cars for marketing purposes, right? Like, so I guess I mean. They got like a bazillion dollars. Why not? Why not make it fly? That is true. I mean, they've got the rocket company too, and it's called like the SpaceX cold air thruster like add-on to get it to do that. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if it'll be like available for like purchase, but I wouldn't be surprised if they just like made one, you know? Like there are those, there are all those guys now. Uh like I see this story like once every like one or two weeks now, like some guy on a jet suit doing stuff. Like those Iron Man jet suits are basically working now. Uh, I, if you guys, like, if you guys haven't like s- seen these videos or know what I'm talking about, just Google like jet man in jet suit or whatever. Um, oh yeah, it literally just looks like Iron Man, and I think it just blows air down and just like kind of you just kind of zoom really fast. And yeah, I had no idea they could make Iron Man suits, but evidently they can. Yeah, I saw it like four years ago, four or five years ago, I saw the very first one. It was like a military exercise that was videotaped. And oh, then shit. since then, I've just seen like upgrade after upgrade. Because what happens is somebody does something like that and they uh-huh. see it's possible. And then private industry comes along with its with its cash and just looks like we're going to make these and sell these to people. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I can't wait for that. Honestly, it seems so much funner than like the current generation of like adrenaline junkie stuff. Like I would much rather get in an Iron Man suit than bungee jump, right? I would definitely do that. I would very <laughs> It'd be much. So fun. If you have an Iron Man suit, <laughs> reach out to the podcast. We want to be your friend. Please, and invite me too. Yes, Dan can come along too. <laughs> I, I definitely want to be in your Iron Man suit. Oh man, looking at these stories, mind controlled flamethrower. That was a good one. Yeah, these brain computer interfaces too are just like way ahead of what I thought was possible. I still don't can't like wrap my mind around like what is happening there but evidently we are we have like a very primitive brain machine interfaces that just like work now yeah oh yeah oh for sure i was watching a um like five minutes before this interview i was watching a a a ted talk and this guy had these uh electrodes on an arm he brought up two participants right two Mm -hmm. volunteers and on on this one woman he put these electrodes and he had her like close her arm and close her fist Mm-hmm. and do that a couple times and it showed it like reading out on the ipad and this is with like 30 dollars of materials it was like a oh do-it-yourself kit right <laughs> so so he had her do that and it showed up on the ipad and you could see it and it actually had like audio associated with it too and it was a raspberry pi like connected to an oh iPad. oh my god then he had an, the other person come up and he had he put the electrodes on like one of his nerves on the bottom of his arm and then he had her close her arm and it moved his arm. Like she was moving his arm with her mind because like it was just transferring what? the neuro signals to his, uh, yeah, man, this is how they get the, the advanced prosthetics to work with people. They use their own existing brain to get their, to control their prosthetics. But he's developed this. He's a neuroscientist that wanted to make it more accessible uh, so that more people get into it younger. You, like his whole thing was, you have to go to grad school. You have to study brain science for six years, become like PhD or whatever, official neuroscientist. And then you get access to equipment to actually start playing around with this type of stuff. Oh my so God. What they did, him and his business partner, like 
made all of this, like took all of that technology and boiled it down with like raspberry pies and like these at home kits that you can do. I think it was called like, back, backyard brains or something, but <laughs> that is so cool to think that we could hang out. We could buy this kit for like, I don't know, 30, 50 bucks. And like, I could control your arm. That would be ridiculous. When we meet in person, you can control my arm. <laughs> Or we could do like a mind-controlled drone with a mind-controlled flamethrower on top of it. Oh my God, Jesus Christ. Who knows? Who knows what we'll be doing in like five, 10 years? But yeah, actually, you know, that reminds me, uh, you know that uh, the guy that made uh, Oculus, uh, Palmer Lucky or whatever, um, I think he runs like a like an AI defense company now uh, that makes drones that kill other drones and stuff like that. But I, I was reading this interview by him and he was saying that one of the projects he did when he was a teenager was he tried to make like an exoskeleton that would bypass his own nervous system with like an electric one to make his like reflexes way faster. And I was like, holy crap, man. Like I was not worrying about that when I was 16 years old. You know, <laughs> some people are just like, way out there smart so yeah i don't know whoever is like coming up with this sort of stuff congratulations man this is awesome there's this guy i talked to uh i have him here right here on the notes you can see i've never done this before by the way showed like what? my notes with a guest this is this is like first time oh perfect uh, thank you so so this guy grok or his name's not grok his company's called grok his name's mm -hmm. jonathan and uh, he is incredibly brilliant like worked at one of the big five media companies like they bought his company, then he sold it. You know, he's just one of those like incredibly brilliant human beings out there. Right. And uh, I was talking to him and he gave me a test. Like I asked him for like one of his, do one of your intelligence interview tests on me, which I will never do again because I failed so bad. <laughs> I was like a, <laughs> like a monkey trying to learn how to eat food for the first time. It was horrible, man. <laughs> it was horrible. But what they do. All right. So he made these like advanced chips and like mm -hmm. one chip is like equivalent to a like truckload of the best processor you could buy today. What? Yeah, he's got this like super ridiculously advanced technology and it's just, I was like, hey, I could introduce you to people if you want. He's like, people are lined up out my door. No, he wow. didn't say that, he was very, very nice. He was very nice, he didn't say that. But um, yeah, man, just to think about what type of competitive advantage would that give you as like a, like a cloud hosting company or something? Oh my God. Yeah. I, I guess like, it's like that stuff that Google tries to do with their like tensor processing units. Right. But I guess these guys maybe just have a better one or something. Yeah. It's specific for AI too. So, you know, maybe web hosting providers that are providing AI web hosting, but, um, yeah, it was, it was just fascinating. That's awesome. That's awesome. Good for these guys. Oh, he, uh, Adam just said he was doing it at Google. He was doing that type of stuff at Google and then he did this. Oh, wow. That's so awesome. he left. Wow. Yeah. Cool. We, uh, oh my gosh. Yeah. Adam this... pulled some other stuff too. I don't know if we, if we should mention it, we'll decide and post, we'll talk about it and then they can cut it or not in post-production. This guy, <laughs> Tyler Ward from IGI, he told us a story like, uh, of a company that had to work with a drug dealer to pay off a ransomware attack in Bitcoin. So this company, oh, like this no. legitimate company got ransomware attacked. Uh -huh. And they needed Bitcoin to pay the ransom, but nobody had that much Bitcoin on hand. So they found this drug dealer, <laughs> like somebody, oh my God. somebody through some relationships knew this drug dealer guy who had a ton of Bitcoin and uh, they bought the Bitcoin from him to pay off the, the ransomware attack. Do you feel like ransomware attacks are getting way worse recently? Like just in the They're last few the weeks, we've had like that, that like the world's biggest like slaughterhouse supplier or whatever, like they just 
stopped all our beef production. And then there was that gas pipeline. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if something really huge popped up, right? Like, like a city like going into blackouts or something because of ransomware. Like, it seems like it's probably just going to happen at some point, right? Yeah. And who knows how long it's been happening and it just started to get picked up like as newsworthy, right? Right. Right. I kind of wonder like how much of this is because like you can just move large amounts of money with cryptocurrency now. And like, because before, like, what would you do before? Like, I guess send Visa gift cards or something. Like, how, how do you even move that much money in like an unreversible way? Shaz the drug dealer. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true. Maybe double bags of cash, but you can't send that to Russia. So I, I guess know how like, you did it. You did it through laundering it. You would have fake businesses set up. You would transact with those businesses and somehow like launder the money. I'm assuming we could get some people on to talk about it. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, I guess like before like Monero and like Bitcoin, they must've done something. They had to. I mean, illegal things have been happening since the beginning of time. That's true. That's true. Yeah. I, I guess like what illegal money would you want to send to like Russia in like the 1990s though? I, I guess like a lot of the torrenting stuff. You could send bars of gold and silver. I don't know. You just have to convert the currency. Seems like a lot of work. It is. That's what. That's the point. That's their job, man. You think it's easy to be a drug dealer? <laughs> money, it's not. a hard job, man. <laughs> I guess so. Oh, oh, did you see that? Like, speaking of drug dealers, did you see that Amazon was? I think Amazon was pushing for federal marijuana legalization or something. They want. They want some of that Amazon Prime money. They want to. Oh my they, god! They, Can you? They imagine? would ship it like crazy. It'd be doorstep delivery all twenty four seven. They would have real time. They would make it real time. Oh my gosh. Imagine, Jesus. Uh, Amazon backs federal bill to legalize marijuana and adjust its drug testing policy. Let's talk about the business perspective part of that. So if I have a drone delivery service company, or if I have a delivery service company that has the capacity to use drones, my huh. packages are limited, right? So right. I need like really valuable things that are light enough to be carried by a drone. And that oh. equals more money for me, right? Because I don't actually That's have to true. deploy a person. I could do doorstep delivery with an auto autonomous drone. If I was That's in a city, true. like New York City, just boom, there's the weed drones, right? Oh my God, Jesus Christ. It'd yeah, crazy. They, would, they would be a $3 trillion company. There you go. <laughs> These guys are geniuses. Yep, because they've got the vending machines, but the downside of the vending machine is you have to walk to it. <laughs> That's true. That's true. That's, this is not the audience to be walking. <laughs> no. They need the deliveries. <laughs> No. All right. We'll get off the drug stuff. Look at this. All right. So catalog DNA. Have you written about catalog yet? Uh, I don't know if I've written about catalog in particular, but I've definitely written about like storing data and DNA. Um, yeah. This it's, is the company, man. This is like, they're pioneering this thing. It's a, I think the ratio is like a football stadium filled with servers, like just data storage, like not compute, just data storage. Can, right, you like condense down to something that can fit in your hand. Jesus, yeah. They so, use chemical reactions for queries, so it's <laughs> it's like the fastest thing in the world. How is that? That is listen to I the mean, episode. It blows my mind that like 
yeah, that this stuff exists because it, it, it always like your intuition is always that like the digitized version is just like the best one, right? The one that works on like silicon chips or whatever. But like this DNA stuff is just like mind-blowingly efficient. It's like remember that old uh, that old Bill Gates photo of him sitting on this giant stack of paper, and it's like one floppy disk can like hold this much data or whatever. And it's like the reverse of that for like DNA. It's just like my like something that can fit in my hand can just like take out these many servers or whatever. So yeah, that's it's always super surprising to me. But I'm I'm happy that somebody's working on it. It seems super like cyberpunk and futuristic to just store data and dna so i'm all for it it's really it's really like uh new right now so the use case that they have to take it to market is uh, the companies that do it for like giant archives of data and they mm -hmm. call it it's like a class of business called write once read never they're essentially just like always writing volumes of data but they never actually go read it out um, right. And that's because they're working on the technologies for this. It's like the problem here is not the technology existing and being able to do it. It's the speed at which you can read and write is pretty slow mm. right now compared to what we're used to. Oh, I see. That makes sense. Yeah. So better machines, faster speeding, faster reading and writing of the data, and then it will just become more ubiquitous. Wow. Yeah. Jesus. Quantum computing. Have you been writing about that at all? Oh yeah, that stuff just confuses the hell out of me because you know, you know, there's like some stuff that I write about that is like so uh like deep tech that I can't actually tell what's that important and what's like not, you know. But like sometimes I do see stuff and I'm like, oh that that sounds like it's a real breakthrough. So I, I will write about it. Um, but yeah, to be honest, like some of the like really deep bio stuff. Um, some of like the medical stuff, some of the like the quantum computing stuff. I do have like trouble telling. I'm like, man, Jesus, uh, this is a little bit over my head, you know? Like, do you ever feel like that? Like you must, oh, yeah, yeah. right? At some point? Oh, all the time. And I think you do a really good job editing your your newsletter because you don't include like over the top. You don't lose my like respect, you know, by going off of like with something that's a complete fairy tale just because, you know, you have to decipher what's real or what's close to happening. Um, with, right. I mean, they yeah, cure well, cancer every other week, you know? So exactly. <laughs> you you have to be like a little suspicious about a lot of this stuff. But yeah, the, like the quantum computing stuff does seem uh, really exciting. And, and it seems like a lot, like uh, like Google just recently announced that they're building like an AI campus in like Santa Barbara or something, right? And they're going to get like a quantum computer working by the end of the decade, which seems amazing and awesome. Yeah, so I, I went in like... Um on a binge for like months, like two or three months trying to wrap my head around quantum computing, you mm -hmm. know, cause we're both software engineers, right? Like we, we yeah. should be able to understand this, right? You can <laughs> right. program in quantum. It's like, I might not know quantum physics, but I should be able to do like a hello world. Come on right. now. Right. Right. So, so I went down this rabbit hole and I invited like all of these guests on like, uh, the head of like IBM's quantum computing, the head of Honeywell's quantum computing, like all these like brilliant people to figure out from from like a full stack or systems developer where is this maturity of this technology and so here's the deal there's several types of quantum computers they all very much work and you can go right now and get like a cloud hosted quantum computer where they are useful in the marketplace is for people like uh scientists that are running quantum algorithms like they need results they need a quantum computer to actually do this quantum type math right i'm not mm. explaining it perfectly but 
these research people actually need these quantum machines to run these quantum uh, calculations. And so that's who they're really useful for. Similar to back when like computers were the size of a room and you would just calculate some sort of mathematical problem on them. They were just basically really great calculators. Uh, and then eventually right. like the program, like the programming languages and abstractions that allow us to, to build like business type applications on top of uh, those things emerged later. So I think we're at that point, like quantum right. computing is really useful for them running their mathematical formulas. Their mathematical formulas are specifically useful for like a handful of things. One of them being like finding the quickest path between two places. Right. And the other one is modeling uh, like bio, uh, like chemicals, like a chemical or like an atom or something like that. Uh, modeling these in a in a very real way, like the the modeling oh, software okay. we have on our computers is like these abstractions, right? But they right. want to like model them in a a way with higher resolution is the best way I understood it. And they oh, can do that with these quantum computers. Yeah, I know. And so I was like, that's fascinating. So they're using it for like drug discovery. Um, right. things in like chemistry and then they're using it for the scientist but it's not something you and I would go write some sort of like application for today if we wrote an application it would probably be like you know, a memory helping system or some sort of like utility based type oh. thing not like an end, end user type thing oh my gosh so just be like Malik on a quantum computer that's way that's way above my pay grade yeah um, so then I checked awesome, out mentally though. I was like that's it done <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's super cool, but I, I think I'm like five years, 10 years away from like really diving into that stuff because it, it just seems like super, super early stage right now. So, oh, it is. I took on my quest to understand it, I actually took a course on linear algebra, which is like the basic oh. fundamentals if you want to get into quantum programming, quantum right. computing. So, uh, there was actually this really great YouTube channel that explained it to me like I was a three year old. So, I was like, oh, this is pretty easy. Wait, which one is it? Like that three blue, one brown guy? Yep, yep, that guy. That guy. Oh yeah, that, that guy seems awesome. He, he's like teaching math to like millions of people. It's in, it's actually incredible like what subjects like people will listen to on YouTube as long as like the person teaching it is interesting, you know? Like people will just learn linear algebra on YouTube if like you can present it in a palatable way. Absolutely. And he explained his whoever his animators are are fantastic right because oh, what yeah. makes it so great is the beautiful animations that follow along and that's like an art of its own oh absolutely absolutely yeah i think like cutting video to like be interesting is just so underappreciated in like making you actually want to learn something um yeah yeah i was listening to a podcast with that guy it seems super interesting and yeah i think it's just great that there's like I guess like YouTube just aggregates the best teacher in any given subject, right? And like, I guess he's just the best math teacher there is out there. Yeah, and that's great because it's sort of flattened the the world, right? Because yeah. if you're just really great at it, you can just become the best in the world at home with a $50 camera and an internet connection. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> I mean, look at what I do. It's just like a microphone and Zoom. <laughs> it's that's crazy. true, yeah. I mean, it, it's crazy that like, one person, I guess, because like before, like media companies, a lot, so much of it was just cre like a bunch of people working on the distribution, right? And now you just get like free distribution over the internet. And so, like, you can kind of outsource everything except for creating the content, um, which is awesome because it means that like very niche 
podcasts and newsletters and stuff like what we do and even more niche stuff, honestly, um, can just exist and, and be like a way for someone to make a living. Yeah. I wouldn't want to be like the person working in a factory that's like, you know, shipping out textbooks. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That's like not the person I want to be. Those jobs are like, they're definitely going away. Yeah. Yeah. I would probably. Probably. <laughs> Probably. Just no, I, I don't know. Like, like colleges, they make you buy them, right? At, at least when I was in, I was in college, like eight, n- nine years ago now. Like, they they just make you buy them. So I don't know. Maybe they'll be around forever. Is that your dad's job? That I <laughs> that I hit a sore subject? <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. My, my dad's actually profe- my dad is actually a professor. Um, oh, is he? But he no. doesn't ship textbooks, though. Does he, he? <laughs> he doesn't ship textbooks. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I'm a fan. I, I just remember having to buy them when I was in, in college. I was like, man, that's a, that's a lot of money for a book that I'm not going to read, man. It is, right? But you got to do it. Got to do, do it. You got to do it. Man, this is going to be great. I'm actually really excited for your podcast. I, I love podcasts. I listen to them every night when I'm going to bed and when I'm in the gym and stuff. So yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan. It just feels like you're hanging out with your friends, right? Yeah. So you can listen to me before you go to bed. And then when I wake up in the morning, I got my TLDR and that's our relationship. (laughs) (laughs) Our long distance relationship. I love that. It is. It'll work out definitely for sure. (laughs) Oh, this is going to work out. We're going to make this work. We're going to make it work. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. The the first, the first uh, feedback I ever got on iTunes, like the first five-star rating, I was so pumped up about it. Right. It was this person and, and it was a comment along the lines of, uh, I I found this podcast intentionally so I could fall asleep. And I was like, <laughs> dot, 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 boy, was I wrong because he thought it would be boring. <laughs> I was like, well, okay. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. I know, I know. So well, good for him good. to leave like a review. It's tough I to know. get a five-star review. It is. And people on their, on iTunes like scam reviews like crazy because I know how many listeners I have and I see how many mm-hmm. reviews I have. We don't have a lot mm-hmm. of reviews. So if you love right. it, go leave a review. But some people like it'll be like week three of their podcast and they'll have like a thousand five star reviews. And I'm like, uh, I don't think so, buddy. I don't know what you ran like a giveaway or something. You did right. something to get those five star reviews because it just doesn't happen like that naturally. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess there must be like a cottage industry for this, right? Um, yeah. I mean, I know there was one for, I remember back in the day on Amazon, there was like, there were all these like viral launch schemes where they would send you like free product or something in exchange for a five-star review. So I, I don't know, like podcasts are already free. So I don't know what you're getting for like a five-star podcast review, but maybe it's like an Amazon gift card or something. Who knows? Maybe. Do you see Apple just released like in the past couple of weeks, they're doing paid podcasts now? Yeah, but I, I think they take like 30% and Spotify is taking nothing, right? Or or something like that. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I think Spotify has paid for, for free and Apple is launching them and they take 30%. Um, but I think Apple has more listeners. So I don't know. Like For now. I, I don't know if I would ever do a paid one, but yeah, it's it's good to have the option. Right, right. And I mean, I don't think I am going to do a paid one, uh, but it was interesting to see the, the changes that they're making. And it's also kind of fun to see them competing with Spotify like this. I personally think that Spotify will win. I don't know why I just have this. They're just so they're. I think they're hungrier and they've got founders and they're like really in it. And Apple's kind of like an older company that's already made it. So, right. And I think, yeah, I think Spotify, like it's sort of a life and death thing, right? They have to win podcasts um, because they're like an audio company and be like, they're just willing to spend the money, right? Like they, 
like Apple's not paying a hundred million dollars to like Joe Rogan or like Gimlet Media <laughs> or whatever, or or The Ringer, or uh, I guess like um who else did? I think Spotify just um paid a bunch of money to uh Dak Dak Shepherd or something like oh, that. Oh, Dak Shepherd, armchair expert. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think he's going Spotify exclusive. Uh, but yeah, I think he's going to Spotify too. So I guess like they're just willing to throw the money around to win, right? And, and in the grand scheme of things, for like a tech company, it's not that much money, right? For like companies that are worth like 50 billion or something um, to spend like hundreds of millions to win the podcast space. But if you have like, like I started listening to a few podcasts on Spotify just because I like listening to Joe Rogan. Um, and that's like the only place to find him now, right? Yeah. So. I don't know. I, I guess like Apple kind of was just coasting on the whole podcast thing for a long time and they were just like the de facto lead. But I think uh, by the metrics, Spotify is like poised to pass them this year, actually. And then it's Pandora actually already is trying super to close. jump in, right? Huh? Have you seen Pandora trying to jump in? I I have I actually listed my podcast on Pandora, like my my feed at least. Um but yeah, like what are they doing? Are they trying to like get exclusive podcasts? Um, I just saw that they like released it. So for the longest time I was trying to get on Pandora and it was mm -hmm. just this page. I mean, this is like four years ago. It was just this page where like submit your podcast and we'll consider it for like approval at some point in time. And they never really mentioned podcasts in their app like years right. ago. And then I don't know, maybe a year or two ago, they started really pushing hard and they rewrote their interface for people to submit podcasts and they made it and then I, you know, submitted it and it got approved and it got on there, but I had applied like three or four times and it was like, it wasn't that they said no, it was just like it was going into a black hole because it just wasn't important at their business. They probably had like an intern on it or something. <laughs> yeah. One of these like interesting metrics that I, I guess a lot of like companies or VCs track is just like monetization per like minute of usage or whatever. And I think just at the very bottom of that is podcasting and uh in gaming actually mm. um which i think is like super interesting it's like one of these like quote unquote like bullish like vc theses for like the podcast and in gaming space in general it's just that like on a per minute basis like like if you think about like a movie right it's like you're paying like 10 20 bucks for a ticket to go like for two hours of entertainment whereas like two hours of podcast you like maybe I don't know, like how much can you get like per ad per listener, like maybe a penny or something. Uh, so it's just like very under monetized relative to like a lot of other stuff. And I guess like for Spotify, especially they're like paying the music labels some huge percent of their revenue um, based on like the plays, right? And like the play time. So like everything, anytime that you spend listening to a podcast is just a huge win for them. Yeah, it's, it's big revenue because like we contacted Pandora to to talk about like advertising on podcasts that are on Pandora, mm -hmm. right? Cause you can, you can do that and right. to get pricing to see like how much does it cost? Ooh, man, I think it's like 25 or $30,000 minimums. And I was like, <gasps> Holy crap. That's actually insane. Oh yeah. I guess like those, I guess everyone's kind of realizing now, you know, I, I think like, I think free podcasts are like a huge thing in the US, but I my understanding is that like paid podcasts are really big in China. So maybe that's like a thing that'll like come over here. I, I actually do subscribe to um what is it? Uh Dithering, like the you know Ben Thompson, the Stratechery guy? Yeah. Yeah. So he has a podcast with the Daring Fireball guy, um, John Gruber or whatever. And they just do like a 15 minute podcast three times a week. And I subscribe to that. And it's just like a paid feed. So I guess like 
I guess for specific niches, like the paid way, like does work, you know, like there are also like paid newsletters now, like, uh, I like actually TLDR. Yeah. No, oh, not wait, like TLDR. TLDR yeah. will always be free. But you can um, sponsor it though. We got to plug it here. You can sponsor it though. You can sponsor it. You can sponsor it. But, uh, yeah, I, I kind of feel like there's, I think there's, it's just like our age group, like the sort of people that didn't grow up with the internet, but like, we're still pretty young when the internet like got big. We're just so used to everything being free, right? Like even paying for music felt weird in the beginning. So I think it's just like some sort of weird cultural like uh, aversion to like making stuff paid for me, at least. Um, I feel like people that are both like older and younger are just like kind of more comfortable with that sort of stuff. Yeah, the younger people grew up paying for every little action you wanted to do in a video game. Like if you want the sword, <laughs> you have to pay for it. For me, I just had to sit there for hours trying to nail the combination. And that was the only way you could get past it. I couldn't just like pay money to get what I wanted. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I guess like, yeah, that whole generation of gaming is just so, so crazy. Like the pay to play stuff. But I, I think like my understanding of it is that um, that economy is like almost entire, entirely driven by like whales like super rich people that just pay obscene amounts of money to like win these games. And then like everyone else just kind of plays for free. Yeah. At one point I read, and this was probably five or six years ago, I was just curious at all these people making money from gaming. And I read that, I think it was like women age 40 to like 60 something was the largest users of these games. <laughs> what? Really? Yeah. Like Candy Crush yeah. and something? Yeah. Oh, like those sorts yeah. of games? At whatever report I read, I remember because I was blown away because I thought it was going to be kids. Like I didn't think I was like it's definitely going to be kids, like kids. Right. But but when it came to like spending money on on this stuff, as far as like being the customer, it was like women that they're like doing the farming, they're flipping the pancakes, like in the in the you know food ninja games or whatever. They're crushing candies, they're doing puzzles, and I was like, well, wow. that makes sense too because in reality I, I almost feel weird about saying this but it's true uh like 40 year old women are going to have that are homemakers are going to have with their kids leaving the nest are going to have a lot of free time on their hand and disposable income and so gaming seems like you know and something that's pretty natural there right that's true the disposable income part is huge like i feel like man i've, I've started paying for a few like apps and stuff and it just it feels weird, but like it really like if you think about it, I, like paying three dollars for an app for me, just I don't know. I, I really have some weird aversion to it, but like three dollars, I'm never going to miss that, you know. So I actually just paid for this uh, great like Hacker News app called Octal. I think it was like five bucks or something. And it was just like way better than what I was using before. I was just like on like mobile Safari, just like surfing this for like two hours a day. And like I was like, hmm, five dollars. Really got to think about that, you know. Um, but yeah, like, I, I guess like, yeah, now, now, now that I have money, I got to like start paying for some of this stuff. Dude, paid stuff is so much better. So I don't do ads on anything. Like if, if I can mm. pay for something, like I pay for Pandora for like every service, like all the, uh, like the Netflixes or whatever service has the option to like, we can either bother you with ads or you can watch the content you came here to watch. I will always pay like the seven, 10, 12 bucks a month because I don't like listening. I don't like the sound of ads. Like, I don't like it. Oh. I don't like the sound of commercials. Oh, my God. Yeah, like the YouTube, like, premium was just, like, oh, game-changing. Yeah. 
the I, I think like the Spotify like free to like premium conversion is just like some stupid rate, right? It's it's like twenty percent or something. Uh, it's something like really high compared to other like premium things. So yeah, I, I guess I get that. It, it's like the auto it's the autoplay ads that you can't skip, right? Those are the ones. That Those are the you. worst. Those are the worst. I want I want skippable. That's why when we do our stuff, uh, like our podcast sponsorships, mm-hmm. we don't do like any pre roll ads. We don't do like no pre roll, mid roll, or anything. Do you think they'll have like, uh, I feel like I've seen a few like open source projects that tried to do this. Um, but do you think they'll eventually have like ad blockers for audio ads? I think wherever like, you find ads, you'll find people trying to make ad blockers. <laughs> Will they be good? <laughs> I don't know. So I actually, I moved to a hosting service that allowed me to inject ads into the podcast because um, I needed that technology because I wanted to do announcements. So like oh. if I wanted to put an announcement across 400 episodes, I would have to literally edit and re-upload 400 episodes. But if I move to an ad platform that allows dynamic ad insertion, I can just say, you know, before the episode rolls, put this announcement there. And then I can talk to everybody, like if it's just for a week and then it comes off. So like, if you listen to that same episode later, it's like not in there. Right. Wow, that is so smart. Yeah. What is that? What platform? That was called Megaphone. Okay. Yeah, there's a couple. There's two or three that did it. And I, I think Megaphone's owned by Spotify now, by the way. They just got bought. I think it's by, by Spotify. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Spotify really making moves. Making huge moves, though. But that's that's like super off topic. Sorry, dude. <laughs> Tim, <laughs> Tim Berners-Lee, creator of the World Wide Web. I got to interview him. If you haven't written about what he's doing with Solid, you should check that out. Have you seen what he's doing with Solid Pods? Oh, yeah. The thing is like, uh, so I, I think it's admirable to like try to like, I think he calls it re-decentralizing the web, right? Or something like that. Um, but like, to, I, I feel like there's always this disconnect between like the nerds that like, and I am one of them that like, likes having their own servers and like running this stuff versus everybody like you can't expect the average person to run their own like solid pod like e- like their own email server and their own like whatever server right that just that seems too hard yeah they have like you can get cloud hosted pods right but i mean just like running your own stuff like the average person really doesn't want to do that right you, we're just going to have like the same thing like uh like we have like gmail for email now it's going to just recentralize under like a slightly different name right Oh yeah. Or do you so think like, it could work? So okay, it definitely is going to work. It is the future. Um, but the way it's going to roll out is slow. And what's going to happen is similar to like how people built like really amazing email viewers and com- composition tools uh, on top of these protocols. They're basically just defining the the lower level like infrastructure and protocols for how mm-hmm. to do this, like how to dump this data, how to permission this data. Um, and how to consume this data in any type of format so that like the medical industry could do it, countries could do it, different, different organizations can do it. But there's a, there, there's a, it's like a, like a gold rush. There's a whole amazing layer of tools and businesses that are going to come that are going to build on top of this. So we're like, I don't even really have a pod. Like it's an ambient pod. Like I don't even, like I have an app that like has all my pods in it and I can just see all my data. I pull up my app and I can see, Oh, there's my banking data. There's my healthcare data. And it's like a pod management app. Right. So there's going to be all of these people that build on top of this underlying infrastructure. Huh? Yeah. I guess like, I kind of, I always go back because like it, it is really nice to like own your own data, right? But I kind of just, 
I don't know if like, the, does the average person have a mental model of like where their data is stored now? Like, like, do you, like, I guess the average person does understand that like their data is in the cloud somewhere, right? And yeah. with the pod, it would be like with them, like in a cloud that they control. I, I guess yes. people would understand that. Yes, the way I explained it to my hairdresser. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Right? This is what we need. Because she's always asking me. And I just kind of like made it up on the fly after talking to Tim. But uh, I said, okay, you have a, you have your banking app, right? Mm -hmm. You can access that data by logging into your banking app. That data mm -hmm. is stored where? And they're like, it's stored at the bank. Do you have a copy of the data? Nope, you can only get it when you log in to there, right? What if you had a copy of that data? You know, you would own it. Or like a movie, right? Like right now, I go, I have you know hundreds of dollars worth of movies in my Amazon Prime. Do I own them? Not really. Are they mine? Not really. I own the right to log into Amazon and stream them. I own <laughs> the right to download them from Amazon and play them for 30 days before I have to re-download them again and like only certain titles. But like the the concept of ownership has been so lost and and all this beautiful improvements are amazing. Like I'm so happy we have all these great things. But the concept of ownership is really lost. Like, is it my photo if it's on Facebook? Like, how do I get my data out of there? And, and this was the concept of, like, if we go back to the banking one, it's mm -hmm. like, uh, you understand APIs and everything. So imagine that my, all of the data that's inside of my, you know, let's make up a, a bank, like Regions Bank, right? Mm -hmm. um, is It's in Regions Bank right now, but I have a copy of it in my pod. And Regions can read and write to it mm -hmm. as long as I allow them to continue to read and write to it. At any point in time, I could cut Regions off and say, you can no longer mm. update this. They could do the same thing. They could have permissions on my pod where I can't like manipulate the data, right? And I've like agreed to this policy, right? Right. But at any point in time, like if, if my pod data here and I wanted to cut regions off, I just turn them off. Done. You know, I right. could reconnect them and it would resync, but it so I want to keep my data in sync with what reality is over there to the banking institution. But at least I have my data. I can also bring in other apps here that don't need to be approved by mm -hmm. regions bank so they don't right. have to go through this massive process third-party developers can just build right on top of this app and i would right. love that it, what it's going to do is it's going to make it's all well, i can't think of like how much it would devalue social media platforms like facebook's right. because if all the photos are in my pod and third-party developers can build technology on top of my pod and Facebook's keeping it up to date, and I'm using them as the interface. And I just say, let's cut Facebook off as the interface and just download a third-party app that lets me update my photos inside my pod. And like, it's just going to be a really crazy, crazy world. I I think that would be super cool. I'm trying to think of like how that would get adoption. Like, how, how could you get like adoption for your like photo pod over something like Google Photos, which is just like the cloud? Because like the cloud is just like generally like cheaper, right? Like. You, you have these like crazy like returns to scale with these like giant server farms and like farms that Google has. Like oh, my, I could I have a know. pod hosted at Google's cloud storage. Like you don't have to host the pod yourself. That's true. That's true. Yeah, I I buy that. Like I feel like that would be really cool to be able to like have everybody just have their own stuff and then yeah. just be able to build services really quickly and get to scale really easily because you already have all these people with pods that you can just plug into. Yeah, like show me your medical data. You can't. It's at Definitely every single not. doctor you've ever been to. You don't have access to it. Like you'd have to call them up. They'd have to like you sign. A, you actually have to sign a form. Uh, you call them up, sign a form, and they would like fax you papers or like email you papers. And then you have this. You're not getting their EHR records in that format. Like 
it's uh, all of this data you have everywhere all belongs to the company themselves. And so I was curious asking him, like, how does it become widely adopted? And he goes, well, the people that believe that it's our data and that we should own it, yeah, that will be like the starting force, right? And then they will build systems and tools to adhere to these protocols that will allow us to have access to data. And then it'll just become more popular and more popular. Governments will embrace it too. We're working with like a lot of governments right now, uh, their business, they have like a business behind it too. And so I'm, I don't know, I'm excited about the future because I'm glad, I'm glad for the day where like I can see and touch and own and do whatever I want with my data. That would be awesome. I mean, yeah, I, I really like this idea. I feel like I'm just like, I, I can't wrap my head around like how to get from here to there, but like, I hope they manage it, you know? Like yeah. if they can get adoption through like a bunch of people that are just like very uh, ideologically driven towards like data, like um, like sovereign, like sovereign data, like that's awesome, right? Yeah. Like it would be nice to own all your own photos and your own medical info and your own banking info and stuff. And, and I guess like it would be like a way easier world to like build on top of. So I think that'd be awesome. Yeah. I sleep at night pretty well knowing Tim is on it. I was like, he's on the job. He's on, <laughs> he'll get it done. He created the first internet. He'll figure out this mess. So yeah, he can figure out the second internet too. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.